Hey everyone, welcome back to Cedar and Cypress Podcast. This is Allison. And this is Liv. And we are back with our next episode and a very exciting new series. Mm-hmm. We are launching a mini series about spiritual warfare. And we have three episodes planned for you guys. But I think this will be our second series that we've ever done on this episode, if you don't count like Advent. But I know we did one other series. I really love when we do series because I like how all the episodes really tie together. Before we do that, we are going to recount a time that we've experienced spiritual warfare. And if you wanted to go first and share yours, Liv, do you want to go ahead? Sure. Um, Also, if you just heard a very loud plane while Allison was talking, (laughs) I'm very sorry. (laughs) Um, I was just listening to this jet flying by anyway um yes i do have a story i will say short disclaimer here um if you are like really freaked out by demonic stuff then maybe don't listen to my story (laughs) because it might freak you out a little bit it's a little bit freaky but if that doesn't bother you listen on um so my story is about my childhood bedroom so i When I was growing up, I lived in a house in Florida, and there was a time in my life that I was very, very depressed. Um, I think I've shared before um, just some things that I went through as a child, um, some abusive things that led into me being really depressed for a good chunk of my, like, teen years um, and kind of tween years as well. That's, like, when it all started. So when I was a teenager... Um, I remember a lot of nights when I was in my room, um, I would just always feel like there was like something in there, like just some like dark presence. And it always kind of bothered me. And I had a chair in the corner of my room and I always felt like there was like something over there. And, but of course, because it's like, you know, you, you want to just go to bed. So you're kind of (laughs) like, okay, there's nothing there. Everything's fine. I'm going to sleep. And most of the time I would just end up kind of praying. And um, in a lot of ways, it actually brought me, I think, closer to God in a lot of ways because I would just pray and or like sing worship songs or listen to worship songs that would kind of like lull me to sleep every night. And, um, you know, that I would be fine. I'd wake up and everything would be fine. But it would happen literally every single night. Every time I turned off the light, that was my first thought. Like there's something in here. And I just kind of tried to ignore it, tried to tell myself nothing was actually there until I finally moved out one day. Um, So I was on my way to college with my dad. We were driving in um, our car and it was just me and him in the car. And we were driving up to Mississippi where I was going to be going to college. And I kind of told him about that. We got on the subject somehow. And I was just telling him about that in my room. And I'll never forget, I looked at his face and he just looked like shocked. And I was like, what? Like, what's what? And he was like, that's really interesting because almost every single night in that house, I would feel like I just needed to pray for you, like pray that darkness would leave you, like that just something evil would flee from you, basically. So he was like praying over me every single night that just something like some kind of dark presence would like leave me. And I was there feeling like there was like, we never talked about it. So we never had that like connection of like telling each other that was going on until that moment. So that hearing that kind of made me realize, me, bleh, words, made me realize like, okay, maybe there actually was something happening. So 
that was really freaky, but it definitely affected my faith like in a good way, which is really weird. I would think something like that in a lot of ways or a lot of times would like scare me and make me, um, I don't know, freaked out or whatever. But um, instead, it really just kind of pushed me closer to God. So um, yeah, that's just one story I have. There are so many that I think we can all recount as Christians, but that's just the first one that comes to my mind because it was just so crazy. Yeah, that one is really scary. It's Did you never feel that way again, even if you returned to that house? Well, so I never did because they sold it while oh, okay. I was gone and then they moved into another condo, but nope, never felt that way again. Oh, that's good. Wow. Yeah. That is crazy. It's crazy that you hadn't talked about it in both times. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's the Holy Spirit just being with you and helping you. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit talking to my dad, you know, yeah. like just urging him to pray for me every night. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, basically that the exact thing that I was feeling like I was fighting would go away. So um yeah, very weird, very, very creepy. But um yeah, I'm very thankful that God kept me through that and that yeah. my dad was praying for me. So um, prayer. It's a powerful thing. Listen to our last episode. But um, yeah, so that's like I said, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about it. But what about you? Do you have a, a story about spiritual warfare in your own life? Yeah, I don't have a story quite like that where that's I could good. really yeah. clearly tell, which is a good thing. Yeah, I was like, that's good. <laughs> Very good thing. For me, I would probably say that the most spiritual oppression that I've experienced is also during my teenage years, I was also very depressed. Yeah. I struggled a lot with depression and like suicidal ideation and things like that for for a good while. And now that I'm past that, I look back and I think that was definitely spiritual oppression because I literally had no reason mm-hmm. to be feeling that way. Not necessarily that your circumstances will always dictate your mental state. Sometimes they don't. But at the same time, I think back and I think I had a loving family. I yeah. grew up in the faith. I was doing well. For for all intents and purposes, there should have been no reason for me to experience that. And I really just think it's because because of spiritual oppression, I allowed myself to it. Like, I didn't necessarily open myself up to spiritual forces. I don't think I ever did that intentionally, but I allowed the devil to have a foothold in my life, which we'll talk about, allowing the devil to have footholds. But I would say that's probably the most clear if i can look back that's when i've most experienced spiritual oppression i think i have days where i think that something is either oppressing me or other people that i know but now that i'm older and i have so much more experience and i'm closer to the holy spirit i can sense it a lot faster mm-hmm. i'm better at combating it i'm better at responding to it <clears throat> so that it doesn't oppress in such a way that feels really heavy into where i can look back and go oh, that was a force or a spirit or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's definitely just a part of being sanctified and like growing in spiritual maturity. It's just being able to recognize those things and discern that those things are happening. Um, And instead of like freaking out or letting it like completely just dictate how you feel or view a certain person or view God, you instead are able to just be like, it's okay. Like my God has power over this, you know? So absolutely. um, Yeah. That's really good. Glad to hear that. Yeah. So we're very excited about the spiritual warfare series because it's a really critical thing to understand as a Christian. I think it takes time 
like 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 for me it took a lot of time for me to become more spiritually mature and understand spiritual warfare how to fight your battles spiritually and to understand when you're being oppressed or if other people are as well and i think that it, spiritual warfare really comes down to understanding that good and evil exist and being aware of them and the reality and how they impact the world and the things that we can see how the things that we don't see impact the things that we can I was kind of thinking and reflecting on this, and I was thinking about how I don't think you're a big fan of like Star Wars, Liv, but I am. I was thinking about Lord of the Rings and Chronicles of Narnia and Harry Potter and like all these huge franchises that we all love so much, people who are Christian and non-Christian alike. And I thought that the reason these stories are so compelling is for a really common reason, and it's that I think at the deepest core of our hearts, really deep down in our gut, we do understand there are forces at work behind what we can see. What makes these stories so interesting is because there is good and evil. There's this battle between the evil villains and the heroes, and we're wanting to see good win out in the end. We see that there is there is some kind of struggle between good and evil, and I think that manifests in the way that our art comes out and the movies and the things that we watch and we're interested in. We know deep down there's this battle of wills. There's a will that seeks to love and to build. And there's one that seeks to hate and destroy and ruin everything that exists. And I think we really do know that deep down, whether we would admit it or not. So that's one thing that I just I think we can all share and that we all do truly understand, even if we can't articulate it. I think spiritual warfare is very much like this. It's a struggle. So, as, as you know, we know God is supreme. He's above all. We know that Satan is created being. He is lesser and he's not as powerful, but we know there is still a battle going on between what is good and what is evil. So while we don't have to be afraid, we should still be very cautious. We should have a good and right understanding of spiritual forces. I don't think we should be overly interested in them or obsessed with them because I think that can become really dangerous as well. But we have to be aware of the reality that they pose. So I think a really good way to approach it is to be cautious but also to be confident at the same time. This is not superstition. This is biblical fact. This is just reality. This is what we're told in the Bible. And we're going to jump through some of those different things and explain how the Bible approaches spiritual warfare, how it explains it to us. Uh, but how we're going to approach the series at this first episode today is going to be kind of a history and overview of spiritual warfare, just a general introduction to what it is. In the next episode, we'll talk about spiritual beings. So angels, demons, we'll talk about the Satan, you know, we'll talk about spiritual beings. And then the third episode, which will be our final episode, will be about the end times and God's eternal victory, spiritually and earthly. So that's what we have laid out for this series. Today, we're really just going to look at where did spiritual warfare come from? Where is it mentioned in scripture? And then how does it manifest and how do we see it in our world today, the realities of what's going on underneath? So Liv, if you kind of wanted to give us a general overview of what spiritual warfare is, that would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said before, spiritual warfare in and of itself is basically just, it's a battle. You know, it's a struggle. Mm -hmm. Like we're talking about, it's a struggle between good and evil. Um, sometimes there's, you know, a struggle in us, even as Christians, between our spirit and our flesh. Like it's this battle that we're constantly in, whether we choose to acknowledge it or not. Um, a lot of people don't want to yeah. <laughs> They think of it as just like scary or like, no, I don't want to think about that. Ignorance is bliss. Um, but to be honest, I think when we truly understand spiritual warfare and we truly understand that um, God wins out 
you know, in the end, he has victory in the end. Um, we don't have to fear. We don't have to be afraid. Also, just to know that um, it's not only like God just wins out in the end, like he just makes it like he is all powerful. Satan is not, you know, he is so much more um, than any evil force in this world. He is so much more powerful than anything else. Um, so we really don't have a reason to fear, which is something we're going to reiterate later. Um, but we wanted to kind of talk about a little bit like where spiritual warfare even began. So if you have read the narrative of the Bible, um, maybe not in its completeness, but you've just kind of looked into the origins of different things like, um, you know, creation, did God have a beginning, um, which, spoiler, he didn't, um, or <laughs> like the fall of Satan and his demons, like how did uh, demonic presence end up on earth, you know, how did Satan end up roaming the earth and, you know, like, how did he get there basically? So, um, one of the verses that we wanted to look at or a couple of verses was from Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. So I'm just going to read it for us. And this is in the English standard version. Um, it says, how are you fallen from heaven? O day star, son of dawn, how you are cut to the ground. You who laid the nations low, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the Mount of assembly in the far reaches of the North. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So it kind of goes on to just say more, um, on that matter. So if you ever, you know, just want to read the whole passage of Isaiah 14, it kind of describes a little bit more. Um, but I wanted to read a commentary just on these verses specifically, because it kind of just talks about um, this passage and Satan falling from heaven. If you look in the original language, actually in the Hebrew, um, those verses also include the name Lucifer, um, which I'm sure you've heard that name before. I'm sure you've heard it as it's kind of correlated to the devil. Um, so the commentary says on Lucifer's fall, um, for greater ease of understanding, we translated this phrase as follows, how you have fallen from heaven, Lucifer, who arose in the morning. But if we were to render a literal translation from the Hebrew, it would read how you have fallen from heaven, howling, howling son of the dawn. Lucifer is also uh, signified with other words in this passage. Um, and he who was formerly so glorious that he was compared to a bearer of lightning is now told that he must weep and mourn. Um, and then later on, it kind of talks a little bit more about that phrase, son of the dawn, that it talks about being in the um, literal translation of the Hebrew. And it says, Lucifer, who used to rise at dawn, and he who was raised in a paradise of delight, had the well-earned sentence passed upon him. Though you exalt yourself as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars... Thence will I bring you down, says the Lord. For he had said in his heart, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, and I will be like the Most High. So basically, if you haven't heard about this verse before or this story before, Satan was technically an angel. Lucifer was an angel of light, as it kind of states here, um, and wanted to be greater than God. He wanted to be like the Most High, which is what the verses say. Um, he wanted to be above the stars of God. So he wanted to basically rule over God himself. And as God is the most powerful being in all of existence, um, he is all powerful. Um, that is rebellious and <laughs> honestly kind of starts in sinfulness there, just that selfishness and that wanting to be transcendent above the most transcendent being in existence. So God cast Satan out of heaven. Um, which is, you know, where it says that he's fallen. 
um, along with some of his followers who ended up basically becoming what we would now call demons. Um, because he cast them out of heaven, he cast them down to roam on the earth, potentially, basically, um, which is kind of where we get the like overarching narrative of spiritual warfare itself, because basically there's demonic forces roaming the earth in that case. So that doesn't mean that there aren't any good forces. We'll kind of talk more about that. I think like in further detail in our next episode, just talking more about like those beings specifically, um, we'll do a little bit more research into that as well, but just for the purposes of this episode, that's kind of basically the start, like the origin of spiritual warfare. And that's like why it still exists now, because it's something that hasn't changed and will not change until uh, the second coming of Jesus um, when there's a new heaven and a new earth. Yeah. It's also very helpful to understand the fall of the Satan and of these angels when you review the Genesis narrative. Because if you just start reading right at Genesis, you might not pick up that detail because it begins with the creation of the earth, mm-hmm. even though there were things that existed before that. Obviously, like you said, God has always existed and always will. So he's not a created being, but he was th- He was there before Holy Spirit, Jesus, and the Father, as we understand the Trinity now, and his created beings before us. So just so, you know, as a reminder, and we'll talk about this a lot more in our second episode when we talk about spiritual beings, we're not the only kinds of beings that there are it's not just humans and animals. Right. There's other there's other beings that God created that have a they're completely of different element than we are. So spiritual warfare it's sometimes hard to talk about because it's you feel like you're being a little vague, but at the same time the information that we have from the Bible is what we have to go on. But just remembering and understanding that there are different created beings that rebelled against God before we did, mm-hmm. and then the Satan was like. Well, it can't just be me alone in this rebellion. I've got to bring down other people with me. I'm seeing these 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 humans made in God's image. And as we know, Satan, he's the adversary. He's the enemy. He's not for anything. He's against everything. He thought to himself, all right, well, I'm I'm gonna see if I could bring these humans down with me. If I've rebelled, how you know, how many more people can I get to rebel with me? And that's the narrative we see, the narrative that we see play out in Genesis 3 with the humans fall. Later, I, it's very interesting that later in the Bible was where it's explained that Satan had fallen before that. Mm-hmm. So setting that stage is critical to understanding where humans find themselves when it comes to our, our status and our position with God. It's it's in rebellion. It's deciding, I want to be God. I'm going to determine good for myself. Mm-hmm. What the Satan did is what we did. Mm-hmm. We decided we wanted to be like the most high. He said, you will be like God. And that's what... <laughs> Eve fell into. It's that same thing we fall into today. But I understanding this is so critical to understanding where humans are at. So when you understand the fall of these other spiritual beings of these angels that were also made by God, it animates and it colorizes what we where we stand as as humans made in God's image. So it's just very, very helpful to understand that. And it undergirds what we read in Genesis before we get through farther into the biblical narrative. Yeah, for sure. I think it it sets the scene for like the rest of the biblical narrative. Mm-hmm. And then it also sets the scene for where we're at right now. Like exactly, spiritual warfare is still ongoing, just like God's plan for redemption of the world is still ongoing. Um, you know, it's not finished yet. 
Um, whereas like we are able to be justified through Jesus sacrifice on the cross, we're able to be sanctified, but we're not yet at the final stage of, um, you know, having Jesus return and having that consummation where, um, you know, we are with our heavenly father forever. There's a new heaven and a new earth. Um, we're just there glorifying him forever. So, um, yeah, it's definitely important to understand just kind of that basis. Like, even if you don't get into the nitty gritty, it's very important to understand its existence. And, um, yeah, just that there are other spiritual beings that exist alongside us, even if we can't always see them. Yeah. And then the rest of the biblical narrative is this story that plays out over and over again of humans being evil and not yep. not doing the right thing and God sweeping into rescue time and time and time again. It, it starts not, not in a negative way, but like it starts to get old. I say that with quotation marks because there's nothing bad about the Bible, but meaning like when you read through the Bible, you start to kind of be exasperated at how dumb people are and how many times they do the wrong thing. Yeah. And what the Bible is, is this narrative of spiritual warfare and the reality of the rebellion spiritually playing out in the earthly circumstances that we can see. So the consequences of the choice that Adam and Eve made playing out in the same storyline over and over again, where evil and sin are dominating the culture, dominating society. And we can understand now that there are spiritual forces behind that that are animating the evil that we see play out between humans. So violence between humans and sexual immorality and, you know, go down the list of all the different things that God didn't intend to exist in our earth is what plays out. And then that's from cover to cover. I mean, the end is the end battle, like the end of what happens. That's what revelation is. So from cover to cover, that's what the Bible is about. And especially in the New Testament, we get a lot of tips, especially from the Apostle Paul, about how to fight that spiritual battle because there's overall, there's there's this war overarching, but we have our own battles. We each do. Every single day can, can be a spiritual battle. And so Paul wrote to the Church of Ephesus in the book of Ephesians, and he warned them to arm themselves against for the spiritual war that we're in. And he warned them to arm themselves with armor as God so they can withstand the attacks of this enemy and of his of his legions. So I'm just going to turn here to Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. So a very cool passage. I've loved this passage. I love this passage just because it's so clear. The metaphors are so clear. You can't, you really can't miss it. I I remember in Sunday school having like coloring pages of the armor of God, you know, you'd color them Mm -hmm. in and they'd be labeled. And it's, it's always been stuck in my mind, this idea that 
we have this shield of faith. Our faith is what keeps us safe. You know, it's not, he doesn't say like the shield of works or the sword of being good enough or all those different things that I think we try to use to shield ourselves against the world and to try to be good enough and to try to seek happiness. But Paul is saying really in all these things lean on God. And he talks about prayer multiple times, which he talked about last episode, how that's that's a weapon that we can use. That's how we can fight these spiritual battles that we experience is with those things. It's a really important picture. He says the whole armor of God, like you can't have one of those things missing. You shouldn't be having you know, the the shoes that have the readiness of the gospel of peace if you're not also taking up your shield at the same time and protecting yourself. So it's this really beautiful image of what is a Christian like in the new covenant now under after what Jesus has done? How are we fighting our spiritual battles? And so it's a really, really useful way to look at spiritual warfare. One thing I also really appreciate about the armor of God is the sword, which is the word of God, sword of the spirit. I like that because it's Going on the offense, when you think about like taking up, putting on all your armor and going out to battle, the sword is your main weapon and it's what you have to combat and tear down and to push down and to jab at evil and to get rid of evil. And it reminds me a lot of when Jesus was tempted by the devil in the desert. So before his ministry, we read that in Matthew 4, that every single time he was tempted, he combated what Satan was saying with biblical truth. And you could tell he had really hidden the word in his heart because if if you think about it too, Jesus was a Jewish Jewish man. So his whole life he was studying the Torah like in the Jewish communities like how they would do and so he had hidden it away in his heart and that's what came of use to him when the time came when the temptation came and that's what's important for us to remember as well to use that same example like memorizing verses, like studying our Bible. And we I think we say this every single episode, but this is why it's so important to read your Bible because you're not going to know how to combat the devil and the temptations and all that spiritual oppression if you're not aware of what's in the Bible and it's not hidden in your heart and you can't and you're not able to pull from it. If you don't have truth embedded deep in the wellspring of your heart, <laughs> you're going to come up with nothing. You're not going to have that sword. You're not going to be prepared for it. You're not going to be, w- be able to withstand the darts of the enemy. And I'm just going to use one example because it's a it's a long passage in Matthew 4 that we find multiple different times that Jesus pushes back on what the devil is saying by using biblical truth. But I'm just going to give one example of how he does that. So the tempter came to him and said, this is verse 3, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And he ans- But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So right before this, it's saying the Bible had, you know, verse 10, verse 2 says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So the devil is meeting him where he's very weak, he's very tired, and he's very hungry. And so he gives that temptation of command these stones to become bread. And he tries to manipulate what is true, the same thing that he did to Eve in the garden. He takes kind of those half troops, he manipulates them, and he turns them around because what he said is true, that Jesus is the son of God. And he knew that, the devil knew that, but what he takes what is true and then he twists it around for something selfish, something evil, and for ruination. But what Jesus combats with the full truth, he knows the Bible, he pushes back on that, he uses the sword of the spirit in that moment, and that's really what we're called to do in our battles. Yeah, absolutely. I love that example. Um, I feel like it's it's very helpful to have an example of Jesus himself, like just to say, like, 
I mean, it's just another example of like, we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with all of our weaknesses. Um, you know, is it empathize or sympathize? I can't remember. I mean, I think it's both. Yeah, I guess both. (laughs) I would say mainly empathize, but it's also just a reminder that no one is exempt from suffering or from spiritual for sure. Oppression. Like it yeah. comes to everyone, even Jesus. Yeah. Jesus, even the, the son, son of God. God. Yeah. So it's going to happen to us too. To, we have to be prepared. It's not if spiritual oppression comes, it's when. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then one other category we kind of wanted to bring in, because it is important, I think, to talk about, even though it can kind of be scary, um, is just demonic oppression and possession um, as a usage of warfare. Um, One thing that I do want to just disclaim right here, just to reiterate, um, possession is not something that happens to believers. Um, you're not going to have demonic entities and the Holy Spirit in the same place. Just ain't no way that's going to happen. So um, that is one thing we can definitely take comfort in. It's just not something that happens to believers. You cannot be possessed by a spirit and also be a temple of the Holy Spirit at the same time. Um, however, Possession is something that still does happen um, in our world today and is definitely present in the scriptures. Um, So I just wanted to give like two examples of a time where um, possession was was shown and um, also overruled by the power of God. So um, in Luke 8, starting in verse 27, it says, When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. So... In this case, some things that I um, honestly really like about this passage, the fact that basically these demons had to like beg him, had to beg Jesus for something. So that just shows that they had no authority, authority at all. In fact, when it says, when he saw Jesus, the man, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? So that, you know, the demons that were possessing him knew that this was Jesus, knew that he was the son of the most high God, um, and basically begged him not to torment them and begged him to let them leave into pigs. And then it says that he gave them permission. So this just shows like the amount of authority that Jesus had over these beings. Um, it wasn't like they were like, there was even a fight, if you will. like. There's definitely a battle going on in spiritual warfare as far as like we are concerned with these beings um, here on earth existing with us. But when it comes to God, there is no battle. Like there is absolutely no battle. Um, In this situation, these demons literally cowered, um, you know, in just the presence of Jesus and begged him to be let to do something. And he had to give them permission to do that. So Um, I just thought that that was a really good example of Jesus's power. Um, You know, it almost seems like there's no 
fight there at all because there really isn't when it comes to Jesus versing any kind of evil. So the second example that I wanted to give is from Acts 19. Um, and I thought this was important to talk about just because this is an example of a follower of Jesus um, who has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit um, and his experience with demonic possession of someone else. Um, so it says in Acts 19, starting in verse 11, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Uh, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Um, so I just thought this was a really cool passage, like basically just saying like these evil spirits knew someone who was in Christ, but they didn't know someone who had no authority because they were not in Christ, basically. Um, and also just the fact that like an evil spirit basically being de like denying to be overpowered by, overpowered by someone who was not in Christ and had no authority over them um, still was like a way that God used to bring people to know him. Like, it's pretty crazy. Like, this was literally someone who was like, who are you? Like, <laughs> you don't have any authority here. And then like, just that example led people to come to Jesus and to praise him. And it says the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And then they brought all of their like magic arts material and books together and burned them, um, you know, as a way basically to honor God and to glorify God. Um, so it's pretty crazy, just like another example of, um, you know, demonic possession, like, yes, being scary, yes, providing spiritual warfare, but also just realizing like the authority that Jesus has over those things. And also that we can have as believers in Christ who have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit over those things um, is pretty crazy. So I just wanted to give an example of that as well. I love those examples because I think that I think a big reason why demonic possession is a very scary thing is because I there's a lot about it that we don't understand and we don't know. And I think that there's a good reason for that. I think there's a good reason that's not explained to us. If God had wanted it to be in the Bible, it would be. There's so much about demonic possession that I don't understand. I don't understand how it happens or why it's allowed to happen or what happens truly. I don't. I, I can understand what can kind of lead to opening yourself up to spiritual forces. And I also think that that our media really depicts humans as subject to spiritual forces and media depictions like movies or books, or things like that. And so we're the ones that are kind of lesser. Well, they're the ones with the power. But then if you think about the fact that in that Luke 8 example that you gave us, it was not even a contest. Jesus is supreme, mm -hmm. the son of the high, most high God. He 
you know, the demon knew him right away. And that's a really good reminder for us who are in Christ. It's a little bit scary for those who are not. And I wouldn't say like you should become a Christian just so you won't, you know, you won't be possessed by demons. But right. instead of being subject to an evil spirit, when you become a Christian, you're subject to God, who is still a spiritual being, but you're subject to an entirely different kind of spiritual being who is supreme, who is creator, who is all, who has your best interests in mind and has his own name and his own glory in mind as well. So we as humans, knowing that there's things that we can't see, there are things that we're not aware of. We got to choose who we're going to be subject to. Are we going to be subject to the the evil ones or are we going to put ourselves under the authority of Jesus and of the Holy Spirit? And that that even comes back to what you said right before you got into these examples that if we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, there's no way that demons can exist within us. There's just there's not space enough for both. You know, the Holy Spirit overtakes all of that. Yeah. Really good reminder. Very encouraging as as well as a little nerve wracking. Yeah, for sure. I mean, well, the scripture literally says that, you know, the devil will flee like at the name of Jesus. And so, um, you know, just that alone reminds us that like you can't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and a demonic presence at the same time because evil flees at the sight of the Holy Spirit. Can't even near him. Yeah. Can't even near him. So, um, yeah. But uh, I think the last kind of a category that we wanted to just briefly touch on when it comes to spiritual warfare, as mentioned in scripture, is just persecution. Um, You know, persecution experienced by followers of Jesus, as well as Jesus himself. Um, You know, Jesus experienced a ton of persecution on his time on earth, just people that hated him, people that um, said terrible things against him, you know, the Pharisees basically saying that he wasn't the son of God and um, you know, what have you, people calling him a drunkard because he hung around people that um, were not necessarily um, the high society type of people. They were the people that were, you know, the lowest of the low. And those were the people that Jesus was around a lot of the time. Um, so I wanted to just share briefly a verse from Matthew 27. Um, this goes into right before Jesus was crucified at the pinnacle of his persecution here on earth. And it says um, in verse 27, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, hail king of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and let, uh, led him away to crucify him. Um, so obviously that's spiritual warfare at its highest peak. I would say, you know, them, spitting on him and calling him names and mocking him and um, beating him. Like uh, it's really definitely a sign of persecution right there of Jesus himself. Um, And the next example I wanted to give kind of like the previous example is just one of one of Jesus' followers of Paul, the apostle Um, in second Corinthians 4, 8 through 12, he says, we are hard pressed on all sides, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always consigned to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Um, so just a good example of him 
I mean, just one example, honestly, of the various times that Paul experienced persecution, but he's just talking about um, the fact that persecution is used for good. It's used for the sake of the gospel um, through his life and even through his death. Um, And then lastly, just the deaths of the 12 apostles is like a huge example of persecution at its finest. Like these are men that were wholly committed to spreading the gospel after Jesus's ascension. They were committed to bringing this message to whoever would listen. And honestly, all of their deaths were pretty awful. Um, so we have just going to go through the list. Honestly, we have Andrew who's crucified just like Jesus, Bartholomew who was beaten, beaten, then crucified. James, son of Alphaeus was stoned to death. James, son of Zebedee was beheaded. Judas was stoned to death. Not Iscariot, by the way, that's a different Judas. Matthew was speared to death. Peter crucified upside down. Philip crucified. Simon crucified. Thomas speared to death. Um, Matthias or Matthias stoned to death. And then the only one who escaped some type of death like that was John. However, he was boiled in oil to be killed, but that failed. So then he was exiled for his faith and he died of old age. So even him, he was the only one who died of something like natural, like old age, but he still went through absolutely horrible persecution um, in his life as a follower of Jesus. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Pretty brutal. I'm, I mean, even that passage that you read from from Second Corinthians is like crazy. Paul's just saying like insane things. Like, okay, the part that you read when he said always carrying in the in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. Like, that's the kind of thing where I'm like, I feel like Paul throws out these things, and I'm just like, I'm having trouble picking up like what you're saying like it's it's insane when you think about the fact that we have that power christ Mm -hmm. is indwelling in us we have that power to resist evil resist temptation resist oppression and we won't always escape persecution but the fact that he's with us in that and then he suffered the worst and then also you can see that played out in what happened to his first followers his first 12 followers it's crazy no 100 percent. and honestly like in all of these things, like all of these men that had these horrible deaths, that experienced terrible, terrible things, all of them carried on till the end that it was all worth it for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of the gospel. And that's such an encouraging thing, I think, to us because it really, to me, solidifies the validity of our faith. Yeah. Because it really just tells you, like, this is something worth dying for. Like, this is so much bigger than your life here on earth. Like this is so much bigger than any kind of persecution you would experience here on earth. Like this is so much bigger than you, you know, it's like, so anything that you would experience for the sake of Jesus is worth it. And that's easy to say, of course, when I'm sitting in my nice warm house, like in my little office with like a wonderful husband and a cute little dog in another room, like I know that's easy to say, but it's it's true. Like all of these these people would have, I'm sure, done all of these things again for the sake of the gospel. Um, and just about like everything that we've said about persecution and spiritual warfare and demonic possession, I do just want to say we don't say this to scare you or to cause you to fear, to like strike fear in your heart. 
Um, but rather, this is simply just a reality check that we kind of want to give you of the spiritual warfare that exists in many forms around us so that we can be sober and vigilant in arming ourselves with truth that we might fight against it. Um, there are a lot of ways that we can fight against this. You know, one way is arming ourselves with the armor of God. Um, and we'll kind of talk a little bit more practically about like how we kind of do this moving forward. But with that said, let's talk about spiritual warfare in our world today. Cause we mm-hmm. kind of talked about where it came from, talked about where we see it in scripture. So Allison, do you want to kind of give us an overview of spiritual warfare in the world? Yes. I'm very glad that you said be sober and to be vigilant because that's straight from first Peter. Five, mm-hmm. where he tells us to be sober-minded and to be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same guides of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now, that's in that specific context in which Christians were being widely persecuted. But it's something that we really need to keep in mind if we're going to spot spiritual warfare in our world. Yeah. If you go through life without that sober mind... <laughs> Without being vigilant and without being watchful, you're going to miss it. You're not going to be able to realize when there's spiritual warfare going on around you. And I think that there are some things that we can point to that are very clear. A really, really just clear example is the fact that there's there's Wicca, there's witchcraft, there's people that call themselves witches. I don't even know if people call themselves wizards. I feel like that's weird. I don't, but you know, there are people that claim to be witches, or there's people that claim to be able to communicate with or cooperate with or to have a higher knowledge of spiritual forces or beings or to have relationships with spiritual beings. That's demonic. It that's very clearly demonic. And I mean, they even have their tools, like they have crystals, they have tarot cards, they have Ouija boards. And I know that there's a lot of people that have crystals. So I'm just telling you right now, if you have crystals to get rid of your crystals, like we could have a whole conversation about tools that are used for evil. But crystals is one of those things. Um, You know, tarot cards, Ouija boards, like I mentioned, uh, going to see like a psychic things like that. Mm -hmm. One thing that I would also say was very pervasive, like crystals, is manifesting. I hear people say this all the time. They just say this in casual conversation. I don't know where this came from or where it got picked up in just our everyday language, but I hear a lot of young people say, I'm going to manifest success or I'm going to manifest this or manifest wealth. And I think people don't realize, they think that they're just saying, I'm going to work really hard and get and earn this. But That's also a demonic phrase, like to say that you can make things appear or that there's forces that can just make good things appear, that there's good karma or there's forces like that. That's another really clear example that I don't is very insidious phrase, but used by a lot of people that I don't think people realize is not a good thing to be saying. It it irks me a lot when people say that, not because I'm mad at them, but I'm like, do you know, like, do you know how not great that is to say or to be opening yourself up to that? demonic oppression and possession still occurs in our world today i don't think we're always we don't see those stories like in luke 10 that are very clear like that where there are spiritual beings who are speaking through people or possessing people that we see but it's still happening throughout the world especially in areas that are not permeated by the gospel especially in the way that we are here in the west and we you know we have that that culture and that foundation so there is definitely still demonic oppression possession that's going on. I and even sickness, 
mental or physical can sometimes be caused by spiritual means and can be undergirded by spiritual things. Now, that doesn't always mean that everything that is, you know, physical sickness and mental sickness is always caused by spiritual oppression, but very often it is. Very often it's undergirded by spiritual oppression. A really good example of that in the Bible is Job. You can read all about what happened to Job. That's like a whole nother conversation for another day. And like Liv mentioned, there's persecution still going on today. There's some people that are not free to worship the one true God in their country. There's governments still that forbid it. There's still places where you can't read the Bible. There's still places. It's crazy to think about because we're so cushioned in this world that we live in, this Western modern world. Like, there's still people who can't worship and can't go to church, can't gather, and can't say the name of Jesus. So just keeping in mind that there's still spiritual warfare everywhere around us. In different generations, it will look very different depending on, I think, what are the trendy sins of the day, what, you know, what the trends come in and trends come out, those types of things. And I think there's a lot of things that will disguise themselves as being normal, like saying the word manifesting or having crystals, tarot cards, things like that, that people think is not a huge deal, not a big problem. But you're opening yourself up to things that you can't control. There's I I've talked about this, I think, before when I think when maybe when we talked about our Halloween episode that we shouldn't have a kind of arrogance or think that we have power or control of the situation if we're opening ourselves up to spiritual forces. I mean, even think about the fact that when you become a Christian, you're still not in control of the situation. God is in control of everything. But to think that we have some kind of power influence over the spiritual realm that we're not aware of or that we could communicate or cooperate with spiritual beings is super, super dangerous. We should flee that at all costs, 100%. Yeah. Is there anything like, you had to add to those examples? Yeah. I think like you, first of all, you don't have to bring those things out. Like they're already there. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to do things, I think, to like really focus your mind on them constantly. Um, like even just being careful of like the books you read or the movies you watch, like things like that. I think just being careful to not always be fixated on those things. Like, cause I think sometimes there's kind of like a fascination with them that people will get into, but it's so much more evil and so much more, I'm trying to think of the right word. Mm -hmm like oppressive than you could ever imagine. Yeah. Um, and so that's not something fun to play with. Like that's not something that should be taken lightly in any way. Um, so I did want to just kind of put that out there, give that a little bit of um, yeah. just a bit of a disclaimer there. But I will also say on the other extreme of the spectrum, this doesn't mean that like everything that happens that's bad ever is like mm. a demon or something. Oh, yeah. Um, I have seen this as well, where people are like, I have a headache. And someone's like, you have the demon of migraines. Like, yeah, no, they just like, let me cast it out of you. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, please, please, please. For the love of everything good in this world, uh, be discerning. Like when you do the, when you start to, you know, maybe have those thoughts and think those things, um, do your own research on those things as well, as far as like theological soundness is concerned. Don't be calling everything a demon. I've seen people do this. It's very unsettling. Um, so just that disclaimer as well. Like, yes, definitely be like careful of those things, be aware of them, be cautious, but at the same time, like don't go throwing that around. Like everything right. is, can be attributed to that because that's just, it's just overdoing it a little bit. Yeah, well, I think that also speaks to an unhealthy fascination with yeah, with the spiritual realm, a realm that 
like we just don't have access to we don't we yeah. can't see and it's that's for a good reason if it's mm-hmm. not that way then god intended it to be that way right and i just wanted to add on to that too that the reality of spiritual warfare should cause that we should have reactions and responses to it i think the first one is trust and gratitude that god protects us from this that he shields us from this and then he's more powerful he's the most powerful and that we don't have to be subject to evil beings that just want to destroy. That's a really, I mean, when you think about the fact that the things that he protects us, he protects us from things we don't even see, or we don't even know. You don't even know the amount of things or the, like how deeply evil are the things that God protects you from. So he protects you from the things you do see, but so much more than that. Mm -hmm. So trust for him and gratitude to him. And also fear, genuine fear and genuine trembling that it reminds us of how powerful God is. That we are slave to Christ, we're subject to and servant, subservient to a God who's all loving, but also incredibly powerful, has a power we don't fully understand, and it reminds us of our lack of power. So it gives us humility to not try to engage in things that we don't have control over and we don't know what we're doing. But also grace and compassion for for people that you could tell are living under spiritual oppression or people that are not saved that you could tell are being spiritually oppressed or who are experiencing spiritual oppression in their lives. A lot more grace and compassion for the fact that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against spiritual forces and the fact that there may be something more going on and not to judge people right off the bat or be angry and, and you know, want to disband from them or not associate with people and it just reminds us how to love because we mm-hmm. know what we're saved from. But then again, like we've been saying this whole episode is just a healthy caution and avoidance of demonic spiritual activity. So not watching movies that have to do with spiritual oppression and have to do with demonic possession. That's kind of a no brainer, but just not opening ourselves up to things that we don't need to be opened up to. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all for some nice psychological thriller movies i think we've talked before about like true crime and like that kind of stuff like i think all that is so interesting as someone who studied psychology however if something even like teeters on the edge of demonic i'm like nope yeah i'm out (laughs) nope 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 i don't need to see that that's okay um so kind of moving on from that we wanted to just talk about like so what do we do yeah <laughs> um this is a lot this is a lot of information so how are we to fight against spiritual warfare in our world even today um i mean one way for sure is the armor of god as discussed previously as we talked about a little bit and allison read um those verses on that i would highly encourage you to read the passage of scripture that's on the armor of god and just kind of go through each one and really Think about like what that means or also like read a commentary along with it um, just to kind of see like each element of the armor of God and like what that looks like practically as far as like how can I add that into my life? How can I be focused on that today? Um, um, The next thing I would say is just to cast our cares on the one who is sovereign over all things. Um, We truly can you know, trust God with these, with these worries and with these fears. Um, and we can cast our cares on him because he cares for us as first Peter five says, um, which we, we read before as well. Um, another thing is just filling our minds with truth and with understanding that in Christ, we have full authority over evil principalities in this world. Um, you know, we personally do not, however, Christ in us does. Um, and so that's something that we can find 
you know, comfort in and that we need not be afraid. Um, I wanted to read Romans 8, which I just feel like is such a good encouragement in this way. Romans 8, 35 through 39 says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, which is another word for demons here, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's just such an encouraging verse and I think it applies here perfectly just saying that like none of these things that we've talked about in this entire episode can separate us from the love of God can separate us from our heavenly father and that's such a comforting thing to know um you know just to know that we can hold fast to Christ and his word and remember that all things will be made new again there's a promise at the end of this um you know that we can hold on to today it's not going to end here we're not going to be left in this darkness in a spiritual warfare there will be a day when evil will be overcome once and for all um and i wanted to read revelation 21 just a couple verses from there that just kind of talk about the new heaven and the new earth. So Revelation 21, starting in verse one says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So we can be encouraged that the same God who is the Alpha and the Omega, the all-sovereign King over everything, is the one who reigns in us through his Holy Spirit. So so long as we're in Christ, we have no reason to fear the evil in this world. Um, I think, you know, we kind of reiterated it or we said it before, but just to reiterate, no matter what we experience on earth, we can be assured through assurance of our salvation that our heavenly father will lead us home to be with him forever. Um, so we, you know, can always find comfort in that. What this really brings us to is the summation of why we talk about spiritual warfare, because God's going to win. Well, he is winning. He's always winning. If you're in Jesus, you're winning. And... <laughs> That's the biggest, like, that's the, that's the greatest gift that we can have. Jesus says that himself. So in Luke 10, when we see in verse 17, the 72, it's referring to disciples, return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So they're rejoicing. They're, they're extremely happy. And, you know, they have all this joy. And then Jesus responds to them. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I love this response from Jesus for a lot of reasons. The first one is because Jesus is saying, don't rejoice in the fact that you have authority over over spirits just for the sake of it just because to you know to have pride or feel puffed up or to say that you have some kind of power just for that reason solely but because you're in me because you are saved because you're liberated and freed from sin 
rejoice in that fact. Rejoice the fact that your names are written in heaven, that there's going to be something more eternal than that. It's it's more important that you get to be with God at the end of this and have a relationship with him for and ever, ever than that the fact that demons are subject to you. That's just like another thing. But then the other part I really love about this response from Jesus, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I used to think until just today that this verse was about him talking about Satan's fall when he rebelled and all the angels rebelled with him. But actually, Jesus is talking about the fact that he's kind of prophesying in this moment. He's saying, Satan's going to fall. I I see it as if it's almost done already. That's the thing that we can trust in God, that every promise that he's given, everything he says that's in the future is essentially as good as done because God transcends time. The way that Jesus is saying it in this ESV translation is almost like it's in past tense. So it can be very confusing for us sometimes reading in English, but when you read it and understand it with that understanding, the fact that Satan is going to fall once and for all and forever, and God's gonna, he's going to be punished forever, and God's going to reign eternal, new heaven, new earth. It's crazy to think about the way that Jesus is saying it as, as if it's almost done, as if it's already done. So that's the Jesus that we trust in. That's the God that we trust in whose promises are as good as done. Like they might as well be done because he transcends time completely. We're just waiting for that moment to happen for us as humans that exist within time. But it's a really cool reminder. This is what spiritual warfare, this is the summation of all those things. The fact that we rest in God because we know he wins in the end. And so we don't have to be afraid of these smaller battles that we're fighting on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. These things that we experience here on earth, because like Paul says, that that doesn't compare at all to the glory that's going to be revealed in us in heaven. Rejoice in the fact that our names are written in heaven. So that all just comes together to remind us when we talk about spiritual warfare, it's not with uh, attitude of defeat or a fear, but of confidence and of joy. Absolutely. Um, I think it is just overall, while spiritual warfare can be kind of a scary thing when we think about the nitty gritty of it, I think when you just truly understand who God is um, and the relationship that we have with him as his people and as his children, it's honestly a very comforting thing to just know that um, our God has victory in the end. So um, thank you guys so much for listening today. I hope that this encouraged you rather than, you know, caused you to fear in any way. Um, but if it did, you know, we would honestly love to talk to you if you want to send us an email or if you want to reach out to us on Instagram, you can send us an email at cedarandcypresspod at gmail.com or you can reach out to us on Instagram. We're once again, just Cedar and Cypress Pod <laughs> on Instagram. Um, so definitely reach out to us there. We're really excited for this series. So make sure to stay tuned for part two and part three um, of this series, just talking about spiritual warfare. And we will see you guys next time.